back to uh, another episode of Sumo Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean with Tony and Scott, as usual. And uh, we have a very special guest. We always have a very special guest. But this is a very special guest. This is a very, very special guest. He's a very good friend of ours. We've worked with him off and on over the years in various improv troops. And he's also... Uh, you know, an accomplished playwright at this point. You know, he's written some things. And his name is Eric Sternberger. How you guys doing? Good. Hey. hey. I think instantly, as soon as you start talking into the mic, I wanted to cough. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was an instant throat tickle. It happens. Yeah. That's how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Coughing is allowed. Right. It is, yeah. This is spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of spontaneity, I, I think that's kind of an, an interesting quality to the movie we're going to discuss. And <laughs> one caveat, Eric has brought up a film, this is the first time for our podcast, that none of the hosts have seen yeah. prior uh, to recording the episode. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, first off, that no one else had seen it, and second off, that they, you guys don't have a thank you card for me, because I, I introduced <laughs> yeah. this into your life. Listen, you did. honey, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And the film uh, we're speaking of is Big Trouble in Little China. It's from uh, 1986, and it was directed by John Carpenter. Which and is surprising. Yes. If you have any inkling of what Carpenter normally directs, this is kind of a left field project for him. Yeah. You know. He did the music as well. I noticed. Oh, yeah. He did. I think he generally records the music or composes the music yeah. for most of his films. Doesn't He's actually he? doing a couple concerts of it. Coming up very shortly, I think. In, in like a lot of his music. What's his instrument? Is it piano? A I synthesizer? Know, I, I want to say I, I want it to be a synth guitar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, a keytar. Yeah, there, that's one. Yes. There we go. Yeah. yeah, I think his most notable composition is probably the theme to Halloween. I think that's oh, the yeah. most famous, mm-hmm. widely known. He and uh, Clint Eastwood can play their scores back and forth to each other, like Elton John <laughs> and Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been interesting because. Um, I, getting into some of the trivia on this one but initially Jack Burton was offered to Clint Eastwood I can see that I could see that I also heard it was Nicholson yeah yeah Yeah. I can see that as well (laughs) by the studio of course not Carpenter Carpenter always wanted uh, Kurt Russell Kurt Russell you know when I think about that that casting choice, like I think Russell is a better fit anyway because of the age. I think the other two are yeah. too old, yeah. maybe. I was just gonna to... say that without trying to sound like an ageist. Yeah, <laughs> two fifty year old guys wouldn't work as this. Like, man, that guy's been driving a truck for that long. I, I don't know, a fifty year old guy with a twenty year old Kim Cattrall. I think Hollywood uh, yeah. still would have been. Yes. <laughs> But my initial, the reason I never really got around to seeing this is just, it's just one of those films that never, I never got around to. It, it wasn't like a lack of interest. I had heard over the years, like, this is this great cult film and it's really batshit crazy in, in the best possible way. And I, as a kid, like, I definitely was aware of the film because we used to go to this uh, giant eagle, like, in the late 80s, and they would have the comedy shelf and you would see, like, different movies. Like like police academy and we right. rent movies at the grocery store. Yeah, yeah they yeah. did. That's where you would rent the films. Mm-hmm. Speaking of how many movies from back then, as obviously we're all uh, showing our age on this one, we are that like you'd go to. Like, there's so many movies from like back then that I know by cover alone. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> that I assume must have been amazing hits that mm-hmm. probably right. completely tanked at the at the box office. And, I've, yeah, There's I've never seen grocery store hits. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen the Big Chill, but I've seen the cover. Oh yeah, a lot. <laughs> yes. even a movie like One Crazy Summer, The Big Sun in the background <laughs> yeah. would always grab my attention. I think it's a lost art movie 
one sheets and posters. People oh, just don't put as much of an effort. And I used yeah. to love those in the eighties. You're right. Now it seems to be like photoshopped or. Well, you're talking to yeah. a designer, so I'm 100 on board with you, brother. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm there. I, we need the one shot has to make a comeback. Speaking of video covers, the cover of this video has so much going on. <laughs> it does. I mean, compliments the film, yeah. but it's very hard. It, it kind of reminds me, of, like the cover makes me think of Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know why, but there's they a use a similar font. I think something about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same designer because it was the same era. Yeah. So I could see, and and they're both campy in a way. Like I could see yeah. both projects. Comedies, they're going yeah. for a certain flavor with it, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I remember seeing it at the video store. And the other one I always saw was Caddyshack, and I, I always wanted to rent Caddyshack as all the stars, but it was rated R, so we weren't allowed to, to watch it back then because yeah, we yeah. could watch a lot of things, but the rated R movies that we kind of avoided. But this one, it just didn't grab me enough. I didn't know enough about Kurt Russell. I didn't have a yeah. focal point. And so just Let's understand. Now you know. Now I know. Now I know the mistake I made. <laughs> but you, I know, have a very personal relationship with this. Like, they hear the background on this. Well, you know, it, it's funny. It's probably right about, you know, the same time frame. Um, but this was one of those movies that I think was one of those, like, first HBO movies. It was right about that time um, where I could stay up late enough to watch the better stuff on HBO. Or also, it was weird, they'd also show like the R-rated movies sometimes at like 2 in the afternoon on HBO, like I guess assuming kids were in school or something, I don't know. But, <laughs> but I mean, it, this was one that then, you know, recorded on Betamax, you know, this, Flash Gordon, you know, a lot of those, uh, the original Police Academy, even though it was rated R, which, you know, and, and oddly enough, um, <laughs> You know, Mannequin as well. So we got, the, the, we got yes. three. We got three Kim Catrals in there with, with Mannequin, Mannequin, Big Trouble in Little China, and uh, Police Academy. So. That's right. Totally. That's so, exactly right. I, I think she probably got some sick residuals from HBO on those <laughs> for, for about a year. And then about you know twenty years later, Sex in the City. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> what is this Sex in the City show you talk about? <laughs> you know, she's an actress. Now we're talking about her. Where. Um, you know, when during the Sex and City era, they were overexposed. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they were everywhere. They became like the focal point of this is what <laughs> this is. This is a woman's television series. They they really they hit that out of the park. And so she, she kind of got typecast, and you know, as the you know promiscuous, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. sex Older craved, woman, right? Yeah. yeah. But when I watched her in this, I I, I really loved her in this movie. Oh yeah. Because she's perfectly cast. She's 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 cute, but she's also she has this cartoonish quality, mm-hmm. which was perfect for the material. Like you couldn't just throw somebody like, uh, you know, Elizabeth Shue in here. It mm-hmm. wouldn't work as well. I think you needed somebody that had sort of a manic quality. She, in there. she, she, I love her innocence in this movie, and it could be because she was fairly young as an actress, and this might have been one of her first movies, but. She just has this charming innocence about her, and she carries that into Mannequin. Yeah. Next, I think it came out a year after yeah. this, which is one of my favorite movies. Best movie montage ever. Okay, is in Mannequin. <laughs> there's one thing I love in this world is movie montage. <laughs> um, but Kim Cattrall just has this beautiful um, innocence about her, and even though she's striking as a woman, you still feel somewhat relatable. Like even though. She's just gorgeous. I feel like okay. She's like someone I could be friends with. You know. Here's yeah. the thing with with, with Kim Cattrall. This one that I didn't even think of until I was watching it uh, just this time is how much she almost is like um, every social conscious white woman today. 
It's like, it's like she goes in, she knows everything about this Asian community and she is going to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. Help. What does she say in the beginning when she's pulling the girl off of the, um, at the. Oh, oh, she, oh when she picks her up. She yeah. goes, I was doing my civic duty, That's giving it. her a chance. That's right, yes. giving her a chance. Or whatever it was. I yeah. also love how she introduces herself. She goes, Gracie Law here. I don't know, it's paraphrasing, but she comes in like, this is Gracie Law. Like, she, you know. What the hell is she doing here? What I have, That's a good question. Yeah, she was waiting for the but I love that, that we girl. don't get a specific answer. There's kind of like a Saturday morning cartoon quality to this movie, which I, I mean as a compliment. Yeah. Like, it, it, it knows what it is and it completely embraces it. It, it. it doesn't shy away from it, doesn't apologize for it. It's like, we are a batshit crazy cartoon. It's so fast paced. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it work. If you were to slow this content down, I don't think it would have worked as well. Um, the fast paced nature of it and just the quirkiness and the. I mean, I remember watching it um, and thinking, did, that, did he just say that? You know, or like, and then, <laughs> but then I'm on to the next joke and I'm laughing about that. And, <clears throat> it's. Here's a question I'll pose to the group. I'll, I'll okay. let you vote on this one. <laughs> Who is Jack Burton's love interest in this film? Is it Himself. Grace or his truck? <laughs> <laughs> or his truck? Yeah, yeah, because he's looking for his truck. I mean, that's yeah. all he cares yeah. about. Okay, I think the last five minutes answer that question. He didn't even kiss her goodbye. No. And there was a line about that. She said, "You're not even going to kiss her goodbye," and he's like, "No." Nope. I love it, and and and. The other thing about uh, Jack Barton is he is definitely John Wayne. Like it's obviously Kurt Russell channeled John Wayne well, for this whole. And, and here's the thing, and this also kind of goes back to uh, if the truck is the love interest. Essentially. <laughs> the truck is the lover. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is uh, this was initially written as a western, and the truck was his horse. Ah. <laughs> so if you think about yeah, right. he does. The John Wayne is very apparent. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the cadence is almost. Like, exactly. You know. I mean, we picked up on that. Yeah, I was like, he's like talking minutes. like John Wayne. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is where I really appreciate Kurt Russell now because when I watch this performance, like, he knows, uh, he's so irreverent. Like, he gets comedy really well. Kurt Russell mm-hmm. can play comedy extraordinarily well. And he's like a lighthearted Harrison Ford. Like, Harrison Ford's yeah. too edgy to really pull yeah. off something like this, even though he's funny. But Kurt Russell has a lighter fare where he, the more batshit crazy you can make things, the more oh. insane things go, he can adapt to mm-hmm. that really well. I think maybe he takes himself a little less seriously than Harrison Ford. Maybe that's what the difference is. I feel like watching this, Kurt Russell was having fun. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, that's what mm-hmm. what I got out of that. Have you ever seen a movie where Kurt Russell does try to take himself seriously? Because I, 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 I recently, I did recently <laughs> watch like Soldier, uh-huh. which is like the side cool to Blade Runner. It's okay. the same writer, and they're supposed to take place in the same universe. And he's pretty freaking terrible in that. Wow. <laughs> and he's supposed to be playing this completely, yeah. you know, flat top, straight laced soldier. And it's like I, I'm not buying it the whole time. Like, again, it's like one of those things like you know, like you know, like a Harrison Ford could have had that kind of like I don't know, like demeanor a little bit different in that mm-hmm. film. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true of Russell from what I've seen of him. I actually have seen more comedies with Kurt Russell than dramas anyway. Like, yeah. I don't think he's he's ventured out that far. On the topic of Harrison Ford and Kurt Russell, I actually have seen an audition for Star Wars. Mm, yeah. where Kurt Russell was auditioning for uh, was it Han Solo. one of those SNL ones? Or this no, this was a real oh, audition okay. from, like, the late 70s. And Kurt Russell, it, it's hard to imagine anybody else but Harrison Ford playing the part. And I think the reason Ford got it was because of that edge. 
But Kurt Russell's audition was with William Catt from The Great American Hero. Remember that show? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. playing Luke. And Russell was really good. Like, it would have been a lot more... He, basically, what Jack... Is it Jack Burton? Jack yeah, Burton. Jack Burton. Burton. What he became for Big Trouble, I think... That the kernels were laid in that audition for Han Solo. Like I think that because it was a lighter-hearted, you know, a little more banter. It would have been a different film, but Russell did a good job with it. I guess you could see his chops early yeah. on. Mm-hmm. They've even talked about uh, uh, Carpenter and Russell talk about the fact that essentially Jack Burton's the sidekick in this movie. He yeah, is. he really yeah. was, even though he was portrayed to be like the hero. Right. It was from his perspective that <laughs> yeah. he was the hero, but. Uh, yeah. No, 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 His buddy did everything. <laughs> he um, did. Yeah, and there were, uh, oh my goodness, so many funny parts, but the one part where they're at the major fight after they rescue the women. Oh, yeah. And something happens, and he, like, he has these knives that come out of his shoes, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's, it's Velcroed in his boot. Oh, is that yeah. what it is? Okay, oh, he's very, very resourceful man. But they end up getting stuck in, in someone that's attacking him. Yeah. And there's like, for a five-minute span, he's just rolling around on the floor trying to detach himself from this man <laughs> while the rest of the fight's going on and everybody else is taking care of things and he's just sitting there rolling around. <laughs> which, which makes me think running a restaurant in Chinatown's got to be like the most dangerous thing ever. Yeah. Because apparently the owner and the maitre d' are kick-ass kung fu guys. <laughs> yeah. Just, who, Which, would you expect anything less? Well, no, not not in the eighties. <laughs> and then on top of that, like when Kurt Russell finally shoots a guy and actually does something heroic mm-hmm. and shoots a guy, uh, uh, Eddie, who wears magnificent suits in this movie, by the way, he does uh, <laughs> very impressive suits. Turns to him and he's like, first time you plugged a guy. How many people is your maitre d' shooting? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's an offhand comment. Yeah, when he mentioned the suits too, like it reminded me of like the, the supporting cast in this movie. It's one film where they just add character after character. And they come randomly. It's not like they really even sometimes have anything to do with the central story. But they'll just pop in as if they've been in the movie the whole time. And well, we got to see Raiden. Oh, <laughs> I took your line. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, yeah, you yeah. gotta talk about so, this. She stole I had the same reaction. She you stole your thunder, but you still have rain and lightning. So <laughs> yeah. you got two storms left. Well, okay, I am going to. Thanks for raining on my parade. <laughs> raining on your parade. But okay, oh. so the oh. first time. Yeah. Hey, don't congratulate him. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so the first time that I had ever seen this movie was last night, meaning the night before I'm recording this podcast, and. Um, Within the first 20 minutes of the film, I remember the first 10 minutes, I was seriously thinking, what the heck? Mm-hmm. You know, like, really? Like, what, what's this about? Like, I, I was kind of like, oh, boy, here we go. But then it just started moving so quickly, and you were meeting all these new, interesting characters, and the comedy really started coming in, um, and I really found myself enjoying it. But I thought, okay, the one major scene, right when his truck gets stolen, there's like, it's so much like West Side Story. There are like all these different, chi- like these different gangs of Chinamen that come out from one side of the street. The other ones come out from the other side of the street, and the truck's like in the middle of all of it. And they just start going into this fighting, and I'm just like waiting for you know the jet song to start playing. Um, I don't know, but how like, they shot off so many machine guns there. Yeah, like, and yeah. the truck is not hit once. The truck that takes yeah. up ninety percent of, <laughs> of the screen. this alley. Doesn't get shot once, but everyone else just gets perforated. It's just wow. insane. But then Raiden comes on the scene, <laughs> and I'm so convinced that Mortal Kombat 
was inspired by this movie. I think it was, actually. Like, not just with with the guy who is pretty much Raiden. I mean, he has electricity flowing <laughs> through him. He even has, like, a triangle-shaped hat. Yeah. <laughs> but then I thought about it, and I thought Jack Burton kind of reminds me of, like, the Johnny Cage. Yeah? Kind of like the Johnny Cage character. Um, and then the blonde, you know, Kim Cattrall would be, you know, the best character, Sonya, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought the same thing you did when that scene, especially when the Raiden-looking guys yeah. came down. And that's also where the mat, like the the where the craziness really starts mm-hmm. to evolve. Like this is like a crescendo. It starts off like oh, a yeah. like a yeah. like a typical film, like kind of a buddy comedy, and then it goes into it like an action-oriented. There's a kidnapping. Yeah. You've seen this before, like all these different tropes, <laughs> but you don't expect to see magic guys coming down and a third into the film. No. Did they ever explain no. that? No, never. No, 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 that is completely like known. To, to all the Asian characters in the entire movie, Egg Shannon just like yeah, whatever. It's the entire yeah, time. it happens. That's when the Earth turned inside out and creatures got stuck underneath. <laughs> Who cares? Let me get my back. Ha- having actually been to the Chinatown in San Francisco, none of this happened <laughs> to me when I was there, and I wish to God it had. <laughs> I so wish this actually was I, a documentary. I will say too that being being a uh, a, a fan of eighties movies and, and everything from that from that era, I love the whenever I see like my favorite terrorists pop up in other movies, like the uh, the one. Wait a eight- minute, you have a favorite terrorist? <laughs> oh yeah, that shouldn't be in the same sentence. <laughs> okay, favorite actors constantly portraying terrorists. There we go. Because, <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was almost like every 80s movie had like terrorist groups where there was like You're right. there was always like a completely multicultural terrorist group and they always had the Asian guy with the two knives from this one yeah uh, the, the guy has got like the crazy mustache and he's like half bald with long hair Yes, yeah. Okay. Because he's like he's the guy who's in Die Hard eating snacks. Okay. Like, yeah. I know exactly. You're waiting about. for John McClane to come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've noticed too. Like there was a trend in the '80s with these Orient motifs because mm-hmm. Blade Runner. There was always that undercurrent yeah. of like of Asian culture in in the future futuristic LA. And then this movie obviously has that. And then I think there are a few others. It just seemed like that was a trend. And well, I, I think there's Hollywood. a lot of. Uh, I mean, everything at that point was stamped made in Hong Kong. So I think, yeah, <laughs> it was. I, I definitely think that there was culture-wise, we had a big fear of essentially the uh, Asian countries coming over and taking over, which you know that sure didn't happen nowadays with <laughs> yeah. that. No, the uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I do like though, even though it doesn't do any of the stereotype bullshit that you normally would yeah. see. I mean, they have. The made for D is case in point. Yeah. This, you know, um, and they, I mean, the Kung Fu fighting is, they're respectful of the culture that's actually mm-hmm. there, but they do not, there's not like any sort of, you know, demeaning quality to the it's way they depict it. Yeah. Other than the weapons looking extremely <laughs> costume. I said that when we, that, that scene where Jack was holding that knife in the truck, I was like, Totally a, a plastic knife right there. You well, can tell. You look at like everyone's. It was just cracking like everyone's weapons that they were carrying around. Just looked like that someone just press cut tin. It's just like <laughs> the big machine gun that Jack had. Yeah. I would say like Carpenter is 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 a really talented director because a lot of the set pieces here are elevated to eleven, but oh, they yeah. did it in, in such a tight manner that it flows. Like it doesn't take you out of the film. Like like the sword fighting here. It's not just typical sword fighting. It's exaggerated, like Looney Tunes yeah. sword fighting, you know. And they play it straight, but it's really compelling to watch. Like, 
and even the sequences where I think Kim Cattrall and the the other uh, the actress, the one that uh, yeah, the, the villain wants yeah. to marry, yeah, the green eyed ladies, like they're, <laughs> when they're elevated up, when they're moved, they they they're elevated to the ceiling and they start touching the ceiling where yeah. they get possessed or something. I just still don't understand what happened. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> there are a lot but of I, unanswered questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand what Jack Burton is doing in the truck. But he's, who's he talking to in the truck? He's telling his story just, on the just, CB radio. Just, oh, just a CB radio? Yeah. Just kind of like... I just thought he was just like just bragging about himself to the... <laughs> yeah. Himself up. Maybe he was catching he, the truck up. He's a narcissist. He's painting himself as a hero before he's even done anything. <laughs> when you're a truck driver, you have so many hours to spend talking to yeah. yourself. Why not talk? I love how he's eating the sandwich too. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's just great. Where? Yeah. How is he holding a wheel? <laughs> Maybe he was driving with his knee. Yeah. So, uh, uh, like one of the characters we were, we were talking about, like characters that come out of nowhere, as we as we kind of like kind of move through the film a little bit. Yeah. Um, is when we're introduced to the reporter. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, after after the, the it goes to um, pick up the girl at the whorehouse, which they take credit cards. Which I find awesome. The whorehouse <laughs> right. in general is hilarious. I could oh, not yeah. stop laughing when there was like an earthquake or whatever that oh, yeah. happened. <laughs> oh my god! Did, yeah, did you notice when like the, the hole came through the ceiling? There was like no insulation. It was like it was just like, yeah, <laughs> particle board. I do love that question. Like the whole shaking, the bed was shaking. I do love the question, like because I the question was like cash or credit, and it was played straight. I'm like, wow, Jerry Springer would love this place. Uh, yeah, exactly. solved so many of his problems. Oh. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine like the Ashley Madison leak from the from the whorehouse in Chinatown? <laughs> I know, yeah. um, but I, I love at that point they when we've kind of like okay we've gotten past the kung fu stuff now we're actually going to get into like the story of kind of like, maybe yeah. explaining a little bit why this is happening. So they introduce the character uh, of Marco, the reporter, who is essentially an exposition queen. Yes. <laughs> she just goes on entire paragraph things explaining yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And they play it up too, which I love. Yeah. Like they that's that's the the gag is that she's just giving you exposition the whole yeah, time. Yeah, cuz it was show like Kim Cattrall kind of looking at everyone like going like I know, shut up. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's very um I think with Kurt Russell's character is definitely our eyes and ears is what's going on cuz he's saying everything we would say in that situation. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. And even Kim Cattrall, she has some exposition dialogue, and the way she says it, yeah. kind of like knowingly knowing, like I am saying exposition, but you know, who cares? You need <laughs> you to know, know this. Look, I, didn't, I was thinking this uh, is that whenever she gives exposition, Kurt Russell always cuts her off. <laughs> she never actually finishes like her paragraphs of exposition. No, she goes into it, and Kurt Russell's like, "All right, shut up." <laughs> Not, not the fact that he that he was interrupting her, but that's one of the things I loved about this movie is just how absurd the, the dialogue was. You know, like just the different things that they would say. It was it was like I don't know, like everybody was in on the joke. Uh, but even yeah. though they were doing it in such a serious manner, um, I'm trying to think of some of the dialogue. The one scene where they're um, at, I think it, they might be at Wang's house, like before they go out um, on the last venture, and um, there's another man there. I don't, I can't remember his name. Uh, is it, was it Egg Shen? Or Egg Shen? Or was it like the guy that seems to always just be sitting across a table from Egg Shen? Yeah, Egg Shen is the guy at the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah, he, he's yeah. the tour, yeah, tour bus driver. The other yeah, guy. bus for this tourists. Was <laughs> 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 this was the tour other bus, bus for tourists. Yeah, the guy who for some reason is always sitting yeah. across from him, but like, yeah. never does anything. It's a great, like, uh, the beginning is a great Bond, like, yeah. 
Is it a cold open? I don't remember if it was a cold open or not. Uh, yeah, that does one of those things. That, like, it had I, the truck driving in the beginning. And but, there was uh, the lawyer's office. Yeah, the lawyer's office is what I mean. And then the truck driving. Yeah. And they played the music, the intro music. I yeah. kind of didn't think the opening was necessary, though, because it, we could have gone straight into him I, driving I think the truck. I it was originally supposed to. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I got the impression. Uh, was, if I'm not mistaken, that was like one of the studio things that they made him do. Yeah. Which... I, I, I feel like they did it well, but it, yeah, it, it wasn't necessary other than the fact that it gave us a cameo of uh, Mulder's dad. Mulder's <laughs> dad. Really, that was uh, Fox Mulder's dad from X-Files <laughs> as the lawyer. Oh, I recognize him from other things, too. I think he's a prominent character actor, right? Like yeah. he's, I, I he's think, I'm, I'm not mistaken, it was Fox Mulder's dad. Yeah, he probably was. And, and what was the point? Just to explain sorcery? Is that... They, they felt, like, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. the studio felt... That uh, Jack Burton, it wasn't clear to the audience early on enough that Jack Burton was a hero. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's why they kept thinking. They, they, yeah, they think audiences would connect with them and be like, "Why are we watching this asshole?" Yeah. <laughs> so they wanted to have someone say, "Jack Burton's a hero." And yeah. Cut right. to him. <laughs> but counterproductive though is that he's talking about the green explosions and green light. It's like that stuff that we need as an audience to see as it happens and yeah. unfolds rather than them telling now us. Now I mean, you pretty it. much tell us the plot. This is what you're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically yeah. telling you the under the. The path to follow on this movie it's, if you get lost. Really, I hate that. Uh, yeah. That's one of those things that, um, as, as, um, as a writer, I, I, I hate that plot device. Like the, the whole showing a hero like beat up in a trash can and being like two hours earlier. Like, no, just start your story with something interesting. <laughs> right. That's two hours earlier. Don't. That's that was my issue with it too. Is like he explained everything to you, and I know the studio probably more than just a Jack Burton thing. They wanted you to. They knew this was a, a unique film, and they didn't think that like housewife or I'm, I'm being well, sexist, they, no, but they, 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 they didn't they think Middle Martin. America was going to get the tone of this movie. So they had to explain this is what you're going to see before you see it. But you know, if Carpenter yeah. were to cut it in later editions, I think. It wouldn't really. It, it's well done. It's well written scene. Like yeah. it doesn't bother me much, except for the fact that I think it reveals too it, much. It's short enough, and it uses a side character, so mm-hmm. it's like I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. What um, I love it though is like studios always try to correct things for Middle America, but yeah. Middle America is always the ones that end up loving these movies because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I don't know. It, it, we I think I think people you know people that are. Because it's unpretentious, so to speak. Yeah. So I think well, we're yeah, I think you kind of have that yeah. anywhere you are. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's like you have certain politicians right now saying New York values. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the same thing as everyone else. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and then you have you know, you know, some people on the coast, you know, talking about the flyover states. Like, no, it's the same pretty much values as yeah. everyone else. Yeah, it, yeah. It's. I don't know why, but this movie, when I was watching it, and even now. Reflecting back on it, 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 I feel like it's like a Goonies for grown-ups. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. There's something... This, like, and I thought about that because at the end when the bad guy blows... When he just like inflates and then blows up... There's Is that just, Chunk? Yeah, well, that's what we do, though. Is that his know, name? There's just so no. much goofiness. There's just so... I'm like, his name was Chunk. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great character name. I, you know, what, we Chuck? keep that. Yeah. Well, then you have the... I think um, that was uh, Thunder. 
I don't know. Is he the werewolf guy or what is he? The, I don't know. The creature that yeah. appears on Jack's drug at the end. Is he the love interest? Yeah. That's what we need. Because <laughs> he does the love interest plot thing at the end. But he kind of reminds me of like the demented or demented, but just disformed man in the Goonies. Oh, sloth. Sloth. I, that's his name. I don't remember. Well, well, the guy you're referring to in Big Trouble to me, like, I kept thinking, this is Beast Man from Masters of the Universe. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking. Like, Beast Man just appeared and made a cameo. Yeah, he did. Movie. I wonder if they use the same costume for both movies. <laughs> that would be incredible. I, I love the scene, too, where, and seeing it in high, in high def now, because obviously I, I was, I'm so used to seeing it in Betamax mm-hmm. uh, on, on a you know, CRT television. Um, but it's like watching it in high def, and you see him carrying Kim Cattrall after he kidnaps her the, the first time they, they break all the women out. Yeah. And you can see, like, his feet are completely curled up. That like the toes never touch the ground when he's walking in his suit. Definitely not rubber, like rubbery and not moving. It is. They should use Jim Henson's creature shop, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm pretty sure Yoda's ancestor <laughs> made an appearance in this movie. That man, as soon as he walked in, I was like, "What is this? The uh, you know Asian version of Yoda?" <laughs> You know, the, the character, uh, no, what, the main guy. Lopan. Lopan's like, uh, He was like, had the beard and just the way he moved. But which Lopan? Disgusting Lopan. He was old. I don't know. Um, old Pan. Old Pan. You know, and I say, uh, we're, we're being very uh, critical on Lopan and this criminal empire <laughs> and, uh, and all the terrible, terrible things that they've done trying to live forever, kidnapping girls and killing people and upside down scissor room and whatever. But I will say this. Equal opportunity employers. Yes, <laughs> there were there were women terrorist <laughs> guards, which I think the first time I've ever seen. And, and he employed a, a floating eyeball orb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. which yeah. right. Yeah. How hard would it be to get the job if you're a yeah. floating eyeball? But where else is that guy going to work? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. He's going to be terrible at Starbucks. <laughs> that thing looked like a reject from was it Ghoulies that Gremlins rip off? It had the same weird oh, yeah. effects, and just maybe the design. Maybe Ghostbusters. It made me think of Slimer for some reason. Yeah, maybe because yeah. he floated. I don't it's know. uglier than Slimer. It was way uglier. He licked yeah. himself. He had a time with an eyeball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had multiple eyeballs. Do you think maybe it's some kind of like mystical herpes or something? Some kind of fungus, floating fungus. Yeah, I thought it was just like a uh, a device that Lopan used to communicate from distances. But then it had its own personality later on when it was being attacked, and I was like, okay, is it its own thing or is it a a, a, is it part of Lopan? You know, it was hard for me to. Mm -hmm. to I think it may have been both. I feel yeah. like maybe it was one of those things that existed. Again, the world another unanswered out. question. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> most. It looked like a Mad Ball. Yeah, it <laughs> I think about it. it was a, oh, a precursor God. to Mad Ball. See, this thing has influenced Mortal Kombat, yes. Mad Balls. You know, totally. All yes, the Mad Balls, definitely. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, no doubt. I want to say the, the actor who plays Lopan, James Hong, is outstanding in this oh, movie. God, like yeah. he is. Like that is like scene chewy scening at its finest. And he was a guy that I think Hollywood hired in stock roles for Oriental or Asian actors for years because he was in everything. Well, and, and it's weird too with this being kind of like his breakout role essentially, and him being so good that he was in such old man makeup that mm-hmm. I think every time I saw him in the future in a different role, I'm like, how is he still alive? Isn't he really old? <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> yeah, realizing that oh, they put him in old man makeup and he was actually young. <laughs> but he completely nails the tone of this movie. Like it, it, it's like it's just. There's venom coming from him, and like you know the mysticism and the humor, like it's just a real like the part when, when Jack um, 
throws the knife and totally misses him. Mm-hmm. And then he picks up the knife and says, like, hmm, that's a good knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. And that it was, was like you could tell once again that it was a prop knife. I tell you, the, the thing that cracks up for a 2,000-year-old demon ghost without a human host, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Lopan has fillings. He does. <laughs> he does. So modern dentistry apparently still works on demon ghosts. No doubt. There was also that elevator motif. They kept coming back to that elevator joke about, does it go oh, up or, yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love He's like, why would Jack Burton think the elevator counts backwards? <laughs> <laughs> How, how, does, how does he think Yeah, where does that originate from? He spent too much time in a truck, I guess. <laughs> but I love how he refers to himself in third person at times. Yeah, He does. Yeah. At times. The funny part is when he says something about Jack Burton, then I think it's Lopin. He's like, who's Jack Burton? And he's like, me. <laughs> that made me laugh. That was funny. That was, that was really good. I felt bad for the girls in this movie. I always feel bad when people are kidnapped and possessed in films. Like It's like yeah. not having control over your own destiny. Well, yeah, point. she was. A, yeah. She started off as a sex slave. I mean, like, really. Yeah. She was in that whorehouse. Green eye girl. Green eye girl. She was in a whore. And she was essentially saved by Lopan from the sex slave. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was going to be. To become to be, a sex slave. To become a sex slave. Uh. The best part, though, is her initial um, capture at the airport with the, the gang, you know, the thug, um, the Asian thugs that, that have the quirky glasses that pick which, her up. Which is clearly pre-9-11 as they got all that stuff into the, the gate. Yeah, totally. Well, the best part is when they're in the parking garage. And they, you know, the gang flies by, and I think it's a Corvette. Um, probably by far the greatest quote in the entire movie is when Jack Burton yells, "Son of a bitch, must pay!" <laughs> that I could not stop laughing. That was the funniest thing. I still think my, one of my favorites, just because I feel like it influenced so much. Like one, like the first instances of it is just the when the guy pulls out the uh, I think it was was it nunchucks or it was either nunchucks or, or a knife. He just goes, what? Where did you get that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's like one of the best line reads of all time. It's just like that. What? Where did you get that? It's just so honest. Like, that's probably how real people would react. If I was in an airport and somebody beside me yeah, pulled yeah. out nunchucks, I'd be like, whoa, who are you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was an action man or something. Like, it, it, it was totally like if someone pulled a knife on me. Like, whoa. What's also weird is, like, when you're at the airport scene, Gracie Law... Is talking to Jack Barton for the very first time at first mm-hmm. meeting, but then she's explaining who the other gang is as soon as yeah. they first meet, which is like, it's like a rapid fire. Like, we're yeah. going from just initially meeting to being involved in a situation almost immediately. And that's not something you see in, in a film too often where that, that kind of stuff she's, develops. Gracie Law kind of, she, she kind of mansplains everything to Jack. She does. <laughs> she does. She keeps him, keeps him at a distance. She's kind of a feminist icon there. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, with her character, like, it was a scene where they were, they were both possessed. They were both being mm-hmm. prepped to, be, to become his new wives. There's a scene where she opens up her eyes. She comes out of the spell, yeah. and she looks over to the other bride, and then that henchman comes in, and she closes her eyes, but then he gets possessed again. Mm-hmm. Like, why do they have her wake up in that moment? She does that twice, actually. She does. Like it's two like two times where she kind of wakes up first. Yeah. 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 And I don't know why. Yeah, it is kind of a weird thing. It's a weird thing because I thought, why don't you just have her possessed that whole time? Because mm-hmm. it's not necessary for her to wake up. She's not trying to escape Nothing or anything. Got done. Yeah, no. there was there was no payoff to that. I, I, guess. I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to show that she's kind of a tough broad. I don't. I don't That's know. A, <laughs> there is a little bit of subtle racism with that. A little bit, if you think yeah, about yeah, it, it's yeah. like. <laughs> 
how the white chick can get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the same impression I got from it. Maybe it didn't work as well on her because she wasn't of prophecy. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's what I'm going to choose to believe instead of casual racism. Well, and also, Lupin did say that he was going to marry the other one and kill Tim Cattrall's character. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but. It, I, it's, a fun, it's a fun sequence. Like, oh, that's Sep, by the way. That whole fortress, his lair, is mm-hmm. is incredible. Who designed like, that? <laughs> <laughs> that guy had an amazing wedding planner. He got all that put together in a day. He did. He did. He got that and whole... The, makeup, the girl's makeup was so awful. Right? Well, my sister's getting married right now. It's taking her forever. Yeah. No, well, please they... don't tell her to do her makeup that way. <laughs> had, like, red all over the... Like, this is, like, the, the ultimate Vegas wedding, you know? Just, like, it's just complete... Oh, my God, dude, they... I want, I want this to happen. Anyone who's listening to this, if you have the resources to make this happen, I want the <laughs> Las Vegas Big Trouble in Little China wedding chapel. <laughs> I, look, this has, this has to happen. You show up in a uh, the truck, like a semi-truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, you get... Take it, you grab a sword and you get elevated up into the, <laughs> the room. Possessed. I think you drive off in the truck. You drive off. In the oh, truck. you drive off in the truck. That you, uh, you know, the lady gets her makeup done really fancy in a free kimono. Uh, yeah. You get a tank top and to drive a truck. And giant snow boots. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a fashion choice. <laughs> and at your reception, you can have Subway. Good. Good. I, I, I think Wang's restaurant should should uh Good point. Should, should cater it. <laughs> There's actually a Wang's here in um, Cuttonville. It's very good. It's called Wang's Teriyaki. Let's do not piss them off. <laughs> so good. No, I actually know Wang himself. He was a, um, well, I can't be saying this, but I know him from business. You owe me money, Wang. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Wang's okay. Teriyaki is very, very good. One thing that I, I do think about this this film, though, and I wonder for those who have seen it would agree, but this feels like a, a precursor. Why are still listening to this? You right, exactly, you should have. See it now. But the movie I'm about to refer to, it feels like a precursor tonally to Guardians of the Galaxy in a way. Like, I feel like both movies have these really crazy, batshit ideas, but it, it's almost like it works. Like, it, it comes together, it feels tonally perfect, it's blended well together, and I really, I really see a kinship between both movies. Big Trouble might be a little bit edgier because it was Carpenter's just an edgy filmmaker. Yeah. Like he's, there's just that energy that comes from it. But I feel like Guardians kind of takes similar ideas of just throwing them together and not having to explain everything and just let you watch it as it as it occurs. I think, yeah, I think Big Trouble in Little China was probably one of the first movies this time that had a had a, um, a protagonist of this it, it, the, of the, this type of protagonist. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was unlikable protagonists, and there was gritty stuff, you know, obviously, you know, definitely all kinds of stuff like that. But of essentially the... Um, what I have to think went on to help form a lot of Will Ferrell. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that arrogant, you know, boy child, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that character is really definitely influential. You know, I I, I feel like he's kind of kind of a kindred spirit to like what Bill Murray was doing in the '80s too, because Bill Murray was kind of edgy. Like you know, Peter Vakeman is was not your typical protagonist because he was very irreverent. Um, And you know, I would say Chevy Chase we could throw in there too. Like in comedies, you saw that more in comedies than you did in, in action movies. You know, oh yeah, because in action movies, you everything was you know. 
God, which, you know, sadly, this can't was before Tango and Cash. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, it, it was all rogue cops <laughs> that shot the shit out of everybody. <laughs> was I haven't seen Escape from New York. That's another Carpenter movie I haven't yeah. seen. But is Snake similar to uh, Jack? Uh, no, Snake is a badass. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's one of those things that he is such an over the top badass that it's ridiculous. It's kind of like the whole situation is the world has gone to hell. So he's more of a straight man, kind of. Not but, yeah, obviously. It, so Jack's kind of like the comical version of Snake in a way. Like it's kind of yeah. like they were trying to develop there with which which was played straight. They've kind of bent here, you know, in a way. Yeah, it's kind of Snake is so badass. It's it's like what the hell? <laughs> it's, it's too far. Uh, but again, it's one of those things that you said that Kurt Russell can play that. He can play taking that too far, and you get it. Yeah. You, you have fun with it. it. It seems to me like that uh, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter have a similar relationship as an actor and director as like De Niro had with Scorsese at their yeah. peak, or what Johnny Depp might have had at at their best with Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to clarify that. Why do you say that? Yeah, pre-Alice Wonderland. What was that? <laughs> Come again. I said pre Alice in Wonderland. Or oh, okay. Where it got where the special effects and the set designs gotcha. overwhelmed the actors. Yeah. Okay. But um. Yeah, which uh, we're talking Edward Scissorhands era. Oh, it, Ed Wood which, get me into the nineties. Death Burton. As a fun aside to that, how how weird is it that essentially Tim Burton's taken his entire design aesthetic from Michael Keaton? Because Michael Keaton created the costume for Beetlejuice. I did not know that. Uh, wow. Michael Keaton, yeah, uh, he like the the look for Beetlejuice was like was him because he was he was Michael Keaton at the time, right? And uh, and obviously then, you know, Burton did the rest of the movie and everything. Mm-hmm. But you notice how like the design of Beetlejuice essentially started becoming more and more every freaking Tim Burton <laughs> movie <laughs> as he's moved on. Hey, it's black and white. We'll make that kind of dirty and grungy. Put a little green over there. Yeah. <laughs> but Michael Keaton essentially, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe Michael Keaton gave Tim Burton his entire design aesthetic. That's possible. Possible. You know, because there really aren't as many elements in like Pee Wee's Big Adventure when you think about it like no. that. You know, no, so. he was a fun. He was fun at one point. Speaking of um, theories, yeah, I have a theory about this movie. This movie being Big Trouble in Little China. What if this was all Jack's dream? Well, what oh. if it's a dream? Uh, okay, or what, or what, what if it's a daydream or what, what if the whole thing's him just telling his story over and exactly. over? Exactly. <laughs> yes, That'd even be awesome. better. The CB. Even better. Well, you think about it, and yeah. I, I disagree, but I'll give you a point. Um, uh, and I'll disagree only because of the lawyer sections. <laughs> well, I was thinking aside from that, if they yeah, yeah. never interluded that into it, it could very much be oh, no, interpretive could. as this was just a dream or... Well, especially yeah. if, you talk, if you think about it, the very beginning... Um, on a CB, he's talking about how on a night mm-hmm. where the, what, the lightning's crashing, the rain is whipping, the thunder's booming, mm-hmm. and who does he fight? The three storms: yeah. Yeah. thunder, wind, or no, thunder, rain, and lightning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, th- there's credence to that. Yeah. that <laughs> is it, that one guy thunder? Hey, kudos yeah. for the girl who just <laughs> the, saw the guy it. that can <laughs> the guy that can make his body really yeah. fat. I think it was thunder. <laughs> I heard they might be remaking this film too. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. The the star they have in mind is Dwayne Johnson, better known Rock? as The Rock. Yeah, 
Now, I when I read that, I said, this is the wrong professional wrestler to cast, although I think The Rock's really funny. I love The Rock, yeah. You know who would be better? If, no, Stone Cold Steve Austin would be perfect for that role. Can you imagine that? Stone Cold? Oh. It would be much... If you thought, if you thought Kurt Russell was edgy, you know... I, mean, I feel like this is one of those movies that should never be redone. I agree. Yeah. If, yeah. If, now, if you wanted to do a total... If you're like, hey, we want to do a movie kind of like, you know, a bit troubled little China. You know, there's a movie, a very famous, well, there's actually two movies that kind of takes the same thing. Does it totally different, but isn't Kill Bill a similar send up to Kung Fu movies? Like, this is. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a little different. It's more. Yeah, I think uh, when I think of the tone of this movie, I just think it's just it, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon brought to life with edgier elements. Yeah. It's like brought together. I think that's what Carpenter did really well here. Yeah. It sounds like it's 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 almost like a uh, an anomaly in his catalog too, because prior yeah. to that he did Halloween, which is like one of the most influential horror films made in the last. 40 years yeah. mm-hmm. you have The Thing which is also which well, he is, did The Thing after it I think. I he believe. did The Thing right which was a remake in and of itself oddly yeah. enough but oh, he did a Assault on Precinct whatever 43 right I, can't, I can never remember the number and he actually directed a TV movie on about Elvis called Elvis oh, where yeah. Kurt Russell played Elvis and that's how really? they connected yeah, yeah like Russell was cast before Carpenter was was hired as a director he probably got the gig because he had just done Halloween and they thought this guy seems competent and he's so they remade the Assault on Precinct 43 or whatever I can never remember the number off the top of my head 13 13 oh, that sounds like sounds yeah. good um, <laughs> Precinct 13 <laughs> But uh, re- like not that long ago, like Ethan Hawke and Maria Bello, who Maria Bello, I love. But um, God, they should just take a cue from that and not remake this one because yeah, that was terrible. They should remake I was, anything. I was just gonna yeah. say, how about they just you know decide to be creative on their own and stop remaking all these movies? Well, you know, yeah. Take, take so the ridiculous. tone of this movie. Yeah, so take it. To- you can remake right. the tone. You can remake the it, it's like, the idea of kung fu. Yeah. I mean. There's been, I mean, Kill Bill was very successful. Yeah. You had uh, uh, Crouching Tiger, uh, Hidden, Dragon. Hidden Dragon was an extremely popular. I, I mean, Mortal that. Kombat was a very popular video game. Yeah, right. <laughs> the movies. My favorite. <laughs> the movies were uh, missing. My attitude with remakes is more like my attitude of anything else. It's, I think there was a quote by Roger Ebert. It's not what a movie is about. It's how how it is about it, mm. which means. It's the approach you take with a project is what differentiates it from something else. Like they just remade Poltergeist last year, which I heard was terrible. I didn't have seen it. And I think it's it's really like the I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard things. And like for most remakes, like there was that shot for shot remake of Psycho that yeah. Gus Van Zandt directed, which was completely unnecessary. With, with who? Anne Hesh. Yeah, Anne yeah. Hesh. Or Anne Hesh. Sorry, that's just right. an inside joke going back to one of our early <laughs> podcasts about Anne Hesh. But, but there are exceptions. <laughs> like, like we're talking about John Carpenter, and there is a movie that Howard Hawks directed called The Thing from Another World, which was the, the first uh, film of that short story. Adaptation. It's supposed to be a, a great film. But John Carpenter directed it, which you, you technically could label it a remake, but it turned out to be just as influential in some some ways more. I'm not saying it's a better film, I'm just saying it, it was such a valid remake that it's influenced so many other people. Well, it was a different movie, right? Yeah, I mean, they did like The Fly. Were... The Fly is famous. There's two famous yeah. Fly movies. Right. And they're both totally different. Right. I, I think there's a, there's a way you can remake something if you have a point of view. I mean, it's one of the, like, how many times, and, and this is where like maybe, you know, doing plays and stuff mm-hmm. comes from. 
everyone still does uh, Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one, no one's like, oh, no one views a theater doing Hamlet as a remake. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just a matter of, like you can you find your own take and your spin on it. That, that goes to like um, to James Gunn's comments uh, the other day about Deadpool. I read those, yeah. Where you think yeah. basically Hollywood's going to take the wrong lesson from this. Yeah. They're going to say, ooh, R-rated superhero movies can be cool. Let's make an R-rated superhero movie. What happened three days later? They announced the new Wolverine movie is going to be R-rated. Although that would benefit that, actually, could, I think. Yeah. Because Wolverine, I think, is... I think a lot of yeah. Wolverine readers... This is getting on the side tangent here a little bit, but I, I think that character, I think they've been begging for an R-rated Wolverine, and they never thought that would ever well, happen. very edgy and... Tough, and, yeah, right. I mean, who would fit into that? Well, that's the thing: is like, are you going to make an R-rated movie, or are you going to make it a movie R-rated? Right. Yeah. That's there's a difference. That's like, a great point. Yeah. If if the source material supports the R rating, it's fine. If the source material doesn't enhance it, then you don't need to make yeah. it R. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't have to have Superman killing people now just to make it R-rated. <laughs> Although <laughs> we've come close to that, I guess. Yeah. But. um but this movie, like, I, I, it was—it's very much of the '80s. Like, this oh, is the kind of blockbusters they were making in the 1980s. Like, the '80s kind of gets shit upon was sometimes. This a blockbuster? Oh, it was tanked. a full, it tanked. Okay, yeah, I was gonna... but it was. I meant more like it was a summer sure. movie that was yeah. released during the summer. Okay. It was intended to be a hit, <laughs> like all movies. But um, the '80s kind of gets shit upon sometimes, and I used to be one of them, uh, where. We don't look at them as we don't look at it as a decade of risk taking because there was a lot of blockbusters that were made because of in the aftermath of stars and jaw you know Star Wars and Jaws and Raiders there were a lot of blockbusters made each year and it was kind of the era of the blockbuster but when you look back at the blockbusters that were made they're all classics now people are still talking about them years later so they obviously did something right during that decade and I think that they did a better job of cultivating unique directorial voices. That, that's the thing. And I think they grew them. And that's something that I think is a, is a big problem today. Look at, uh, you were talking about Carpenter's earlier work. Right. Uh, well, he did Halloween, which is an incredibly low-budget um, uh, horror movie. He does an Elvis TV special. Which I'd love to see. Um, he, he does a movie that is all about a cop's precinct getting shot up. I mean, he does these like low-budget things and builds himself up. Nowadays, you get... Um, was it the the kid uh, Tim? I can't, I'm blanking on his last name here. I think I think what it's Tim. Um, he's the guy who uh, uh, directed Chronicle. Yeah, and then, then they instantly give him uh, Fantastic Four. Um, like it's like there's so much of that. Like the guy who did uh, uh, was it the Time Traveler one. Uh, is he the guy that did Jurassic World? Then goes off and does Yeah, because he did the one with Audrey uh, yeah. Plaza. And uh, and that was a great movie. That was a great movie, but, but it was very low budget. It right. was, it, but like, they used to build directors up. Yeah. The fact that they could do three or four things and kind of mm-hmm. like passion projects and get better before they'd ha- have these huge studio tent poles. <laughs> and now they're like, hey, look, you got a spark of creativity. Come do this big thing so we can crush you. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> That's kind of what it's like. You know, I, I think there's some studio heads, like James Gunn is an example. We were talking about Guardians earlier that seems to have 
succeeded in giving his own unique vision to a project under a major studio's supervision. Yeah. I don't know what what his relationship with Feige is, but it seems like he's able to get a... I think maybe he just he's just the perfect fit for that material and what oh, they yeah. wanted to do. Well, and he built himself up through some, through some really weird movies, too. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Slither. I mean, come on. Well, yeah. it, did, it didn't work out for... Uh... Who was the guy that did uh, Hot Fuzz and... Uh, oh, Ed, uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Was oh, he was great, but he did all these... I wouldn't say that they were big budget. I mean, they were very popular movies, but uh, then he got Ant-Man, and that he worked on that forever, and then it and just... That was great. I enjoyed Ant-Man a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they pulled him from him. Yeah. Some disagreement. Well, yeah. this was one of the last movies that John Carpenter made during through the studio system, yeah. I guess. He kind of... Because there was so much studio interference with this film, mm-hmm. like the opening we're talking about, sure. for example, that he just said, I'm, I'm done with it. I want to kind of do my own independent I thing. I want to work is... with professional wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? Rodney Piper. I got to work right. with him. <laughs> wow, what a string of different movies. Like, there's another <laughs> one. They live, you know. It's... It, but, and they're all, at some, on some level, classics. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's got to be like one of the best fist fights of all time. If they live. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is. And, and I'm not surprised that Piper would. That's something out of the park. I'm a big Piper fan. But um, the 80s, they did a good job of developing these kind of like offbeat filmmakers like John Carpenter, David Cronenberg, the Coen brothers, David Lynch, uh, you know, uh, Joe Dante. All these guys were working on studio films in the 80s that I think now would be working within the fringe elements of the industry, you know, in the studios. Well, David Lynch always sort of maintained that. He, he always kind of did his own thing, even now. I mean, yeah. Twin Peaks obviously was a huge success, um, but even after that, he made you know, move, he did what Holland Drive. And yeah, he always did his own thing, and I really respected that about him. Even though he had that that height and that success well, factor, yeah, he was still very much he still in control. Does the occasional one that fails, but yeah, yeah. well, you know, yeah. you can't be perfect all the time. <laughs> but you know. That's, he, he gets out there and he experiments. Exactly. And, and like I, he'll, he'll take ideas that mm-hmm. maybe failed in one movie and, and he'll reuse them. Yeah. If, if you see some of his stuff, you're like, oh, he took 20% of that movie and he made a new movie. <laughs> but I guess I love and admire the fact that um, he always remained true to himself as a yeah. director, mm-hmm. which can be very hard to do. Um, this kind of alluding to what you were just saying about these young upcoming directors. It could be very easy to lose sight of who you are and what your vision is when you've got these giant studio heads offering you lots of money to make these big blockbusters, um, it's probably really easy to succumb to that. And I always admire David Lynch for staying off, you know, um, on the, you know, off the, yeah. what is that, the knowledge off the beaten path or whatever, yeah. and doing yeah. his own thing, um, even during the time when Twin Peaks was a huge success. Uh, going, going back to what you were saying about the, the 80s movies, you know, you know, them getting mm. shit on a lot. I think it was that you had a lot of those unique voices that were kind of able to create their own things. And a lot of them were kind of film school friends. Yeah. You know, like, you know, Coppola and Lucas and those guys, they, were, they, they, they kind of had each other's back. Mm-hmm. They which, did. Which, which was nice. Um, but I think the reason why that era gets, you know, gets shit on so much is stuff like canon films. Oh, yeah. That's, that stuff is, like, I, but they were the B-list ones, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, you had you know. so many of those B-list studios just, just doing mountains of cocaine and making movies based on posters. Yeah. Which actually, talk about the one sheets, they would do that. They would would actually make up one sheets for posters and sell the movie to get the money to make the movie. That makes sense. Wow. Wow. That would, uh, yeah, and there was a lot of 
they went remake movies, but they would definitely. The eighties was probably the decade of the ripoff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you had ET, and then you had Mac and Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah you had a I lot mean, of that. Uh, wasn't Gremlins supposed to initially be a sequel to ET or something? There's there was a connection there. I know, I know it was like yeah. the the Spielberg project that he didn't direct it, but um, it was a project that he was going to follow up with ET. It was like the dark side of ET. You yeah, know? it was something. But I, I think they did a great job going in the direction they did oh, with that in, film. in early draft, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the eighties was just an eclectic time, honestly, with in in all various aspects of culture: movies, music, TV, fashion. It was just a very eclectic, weird, like experimental time period, and that could be why maybe some eighty move, you know, the eighties movie genre has, you know, that weird reputation of what you were just kind of talking about. Maybe I don't know. I have. I'll be honest with you. I kind of prefer the eighties now more than I do the nineties. I know the nineties gets more respect, but I feel like there's more flavor in the eighties. There's more yeah. of a distinct flavor to the eighties than the nineties. That's the cocaine. Yeah, it's the cocaine. You know, I'll attribute to that. Everyone was doing heroin in the nineties. So it was well, nineties became very serious. Everybody was yeah. drinking Zima. Yeah, I mean well, there was, and, and that's. I feel like the big point, like why the nineties did that, which is a complete digression for everything we've talked about, uh, is the fact that we had no enemy in the nineties. Mm-hmm. We didn't. You're right. Yeah, it was a happier uh, the nineties were like the when we hit the nineties movies. Those were all movies where we were reflecting on ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was all very like, true. It, it was all like, oh, well, you know, we don't have the Russians anymore. We don't have the Cold War. We don't have you know whatever go- going on. So you know, there's no World War Two. So uh, entertainment was all like, mm-hmm. how do I feel about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, Schindler's was... List, the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. 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 But those are old period. Well, I mean, there, but there are a lot. I mean, there were more so than the eighties. Eighties had a lot of like the best movies of the eighties. Um, you could say that probably the best reviewed movies in the 80s are Back to the Future, yeah. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Um, you could go through, like, you know. Red Dawn. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah Red <laughs> Dawn. Mannequin. Mannequin. There was, <laughs> there was a lack of pretension in the 80s. I think that's what it gets to me, is, like, there was a lack of pretension. Movies were allowed to be what they were. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a smaller film or a larger film, they just were what they were. I felt in the 90s, prestige pictures and Oscar bait, that's when that really took off, where they were being very self-conscious of the type of movies they were trying to make. Can you imagine well, running? I'd say from the mid to late 90s. I'd say the early 90s was still a very open time period. Can, can you imagine movies. running Big Trouble on Little China past a focus group? No, God, oh it would be God. a disaster. I mean, has, has anyone ever done that? Like you're in Vegas and they call you into a room. They're like, hey, do you guys want to give us your uh, thoughts on this television pilot? <laughs> no, <laughs> There's no I'd, I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do for about the first five minutes and then you want to get out of there. <laughs> and that's the thing. The best projects aren't movies that are easily categorized or thrown mm-hmm. through a committee. Yeah, They're yeah. movies that are just a distinct personal vision or whatever we're talking about. Um, and Big Trouble in Little China certainly fits into that. That's what I really like about this movie. It is a distinct vision, and yeah, it's yeah. the kind of stuff I love. It's yeah. absurdist humor. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's it's not afraid. It embraces all the elements. It embraces all those B-movie elements, uh, the mysticism. It just takes all of it in and lets it be what it is. It's a fully yeah. contained, totally perfect... It's a totally perfect oh, yeah. movie. It's even. It's totally yeah. even. But and it's the very most entertaining. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, even though it's... Well, if it wasn't well, totally yeah, perfect, it would be a yeah. disaster, I think. And like yeah. you said, uh, uh, the first five minutes you were watching it, so you're, yeah. like, what? you're like, what I the... I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> what? Plus, I didn't research prior. Right. I kind of wanted that excitement yeah. going in it with like open eyes. So I really didn't know too much of what it was about. I had a guess based off the title. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I knew it was like an action film. So I just was, yeah, I remember watching it like, oh boy. So that's, that's why I know like, if I'm watching a movie with my girlfriend, if she's actually liking it, the crossword yeah. puzzle goes down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I got like, they, like, once we got to the airport scene and we started meeting more characters and the drama picked up and mm -hmm. that's when I really became hooked and I was, you know, interested and started laughing more and having more fun with it. Um, plus I think it took a little, took a little bit yeah. to get to that point, but. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, I think that's the consistency and tone that I was talking about. Like, I think more than even a perfect script, I really look for a perfect tone in a movie that you fully commit yeah. to your vision and what you want it to be. Yeah. And it's blended well together where it doesn't feel like uneven. Where you, you don't have a scene like in Transformers where they're playing hide and seek around the building? That would be exactly what I'm talking yeah. about there. Um, You're speaking about the animated feature from 86? <laughs> <laughs> that's a totally perfect movie. That is actually... No, uh, that's... I don't, know. Right. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, uh... So, the, so what's your overall impression of the movie? What are you guys having either seen it for the first time or, or having revisited it? How do you view it now? I mean, it's it's, it's fun. It's something I still watch. I don't know, maybe once a year or so at this point. Uh, when when we had it on beta, I watched it constantly, uh, and I always loved the fact that like every character had their moments. It was something that always kind of stuck with me about that. Even like. When they're having the big fight between Wang and uh, um, Thunder or whatever, he just is so mad he stops and chops a lion in half. <laughs> it's like I while he's chasing him. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like, yep, there you go. That's perfectly in tone with that character. He's an angry son of a bitch. He is about to lose his temper. Um, <laughs> Why does he blow up at the end? Yeah. They, just, they never really, I mean, they don't explain. He gets it. that mad, I guess. <laughs> he's just mad at his. His boss is dead. That he's just. I know. I mean, so I mean, look. I, earlier today, I picked up hypertension meds for my dog, and everyone else yeah. get get hypertension meds. Just don't, <laughs> don't, don't just relax. Do some yoga. Um, <laughs> Made me think of the garbage pail kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's what he looked like when he I was did. He did. Kids. Yeah. He looked like the. It was the same. Part the same makeup. It just encompasses. The culture of the 80s. Oh, it does. Yeah. I, I, well, I think it actually seems to have influenced directly a lot of things yeah. that came after. You know, it shows that there was a fringe audience for this movie that was picking up on these, like Mortal Kombat. That's totally. one of the most popular video games of the 1990s. I think that was up there with Street Fighter. We need to research that because I, I, I no, think, I, I think they, that this was... I, I don't know if the, anyone specifically come out and said that they took him from that, but I think everyone's kind of said they took him. I mean, at one point, seriously, watching this movie at one point, I just was like, when's Sub-Zero coming in? You know, because it was just, I'm like, okay, so we got Jack Burton, and got Johnny Hayes, we got Sonya over here, Raiden's coming down, where's Sub-Zero? I mean, for me, it still holds up. It, it does. Yeah. It, and it takes me back to when I was, you know, watching it, and I had like 15 Betamax tapes that I was having to cycle through and watch all the time. Um... You know, my movie choices were limited, you know, like that, <laughs> Raiders, Police Academy, Mannequin, you know. It's just, it's yeah. all, you know everything was on HBO in about a three-year window. Right. Um, so it, it definitely takes me back to that, and, and it holds up, unlike some of the other ones that I've tried to watch from back then. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just like, God, that's that's still all there. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't doesn't need anything else. The, you know, sure, parts are cheesy, parts mm -hmm. aren't great, but the tonally it all fits. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my impression of it, too. Like, I felt, even though I had never seen it in full until we recorded this podcast, <laughs> I uh, 
it still brought me back to the eighties because it was very much of that time. But it also transcends it. Like when I when I refer to it, it's not so much that I feel it's dated. I feel like oh, this is emblematic of what I loved about that era, and it brings me back to being a kid again when I watch time it. Time capsule. Time capsule. Exactly. You could easily put this in a time capsule. And by the way, my favorite line in the movie is "Nope," which I think is up yes, there with "I know." <laughs> oh, well, no, my favorite line is. Uh, um, well, well, it's you know, possibly the whole. What, what where'd you get that? Still, my favorite line of the whole movie, though, is the um, "A brave man likes the feel of nature on his face, but a wise man has enough sense to get out of the rain." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I've. What did he say? I've. I'm a reasonable man, but I've seen a lot of unreasonable things. Yes, like that. That whole exchange in yeah. the house was so funny. What's he say after Nope? She says, "Will I ever see you again?" He's like. Eventually, I rub everybody the wrong way. That's it. Well, he says something about, like, uh, we'll see what happens, or something like that. Never can tell. <laughs> Never can tell. Never That's can it. Tell. Never yeah. can tell. Never can tell. He goes, tell. Won't, you, aren't you, won't you give her a, uh, a goodbye <laughs> kiss? Nope. <laughs> so casually. Is she around? Never can tell. Yeah. Never can tell. Oh, man. <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, it's right up my alley. Um, like I said, the tone was perfect i i just like the way it was shot there were some fun shots especially when those guys those those three guys you see in the beginning that drive that car that that red was it a trans am or yeah, I don't it was, know. Oh, the, convertible it was like, like a, a it was a fast a very like uh the gang members wearing sunglasses yeah the gang members yeah, wearing, wearing sunglasses. sunglasses i think i think i saw kanye in those yeah, yeah. But I love how that, and they're going really fast, and they get out of the way real quick, and that's when he says your line is like, son of a bitch is going to play, let's pay. Uh, it was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. It was. And, and the way he said it, he was doing, he was using that John Wayne, like, cadence. Yeah. He was like, son of a bitch, must pay. It was so funny. And it's, uh, I like the fights, and I like how they, like, kind of pause on the, the breaking of the bones <laughs> a little bit. You get kicked yeah. in, bah. Uh, but it's just great. I think it's a great, obviously, send off to Kung Fu, and oh yeah, those the signs that they say to each I other. Feel, I feel like we should do that to each other for now. <laughs> the finger sign. Eric just uh, gave the uh, the hands hand sign um, that they give each other. Well, Scott did a sweet Kung Fu move, so I had to. Yeah. Send, I just sent him the yeah. finger sign. Yeah, <laughs> did the karate chops, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was glad I saw it. I'm surprised I've never seen it before. I always got confused with Romancing the Stone. Don't ask me why. <laughs> okay, Again, we're yeah. talking about covers. I mean, all these covers are like... All right, now, now, now rethink about how this movie would be done with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. <laughs> was, that Robert DeVito. <laughs> was that Robert Zemeckis that did that Romancing the Stone? Yes, okay. it was. Oh, yeah. That allowed him to do Back to the Future? Is that Probably. true? Uh, the success yeah. of Romancing the Stone allowed him to do uh, Back Probably. to the Future. I think so. Yeah, I think it, I think uh, that allowed him to finally make that script. On that note, you know, oddly enough, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis worked with Kurt Russell on a movie that's very obscure called Used Cars from 1980. That's his, isn't that his first one? That was like one of his first. Uh, Is that any good? Uh, Hollywood movies. I haven't seen it. Yet. I've heard it's great. Well, well I'll point I, out a piece of trivia to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> the outfit that Kurt Russell wears in to pick up uh, the, the whorehouse. Is the outfit he wears in used cars? I thought you looked familiar as that character. That's the character he plays. Yeah, that's a homage. Holy yes, shit, yes. that is brilliant. That is like, absolutely not, brilliant. Yes, I'm like I've seen Carissa like this before. Yeah. Why do I know this guy? You've seen used cars. That's why. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's why. Okay. Yep. Oh my god, I remember. I didn't vocalize wow. that last night, but I was watching it and I'm like those glasses, the way he had his hair. I was like, I've seen him like this before, and then I just. Thought maybe I was imagining it. 
He did a great job in that scene, by the way. That was a yes, hysterical. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Yes. I like uh, a crisis, no objects. <laughs> yes. I I always I always find it funny though when Steve Spielberg. Steve <laughs> Spielberg. Well, this is my point. Steven Spielberg calls Robert Zemeckis Bob Zemeckis. Yeah. It just throws me off. Oh, Bob. Like those are insider lingo. Yeah, right here. I, like, <laughs> you know, I know Johnny Carpenter. <laughs> you know? Johnny, Johnny Carpenter is great. What about so, you? Um, I agree with pretty much everything that's been said. Um, the only thing I would have to slightly, I, I can't attest to living a large part of my life in the 80s, because when this movie came out in 1986, I was a couple months old. But um, I really enjoyed watching it though, um, and it was very fun. It's a great adult movie without being an adult movie, if that makes mm. sense. You know, I think I think, you know, my, I don't know, Nineteen-year-old um, nephew would really enjoy this, even though he's technically an adult. But I also think if he was ten, you know, he would have enjoyed this movie as well. But at the same time, there's so many qualities about it that make it fun for adults. Um, kind of like Shrek, it has that same effect yeah. as Shrek, and and I really like that aspect about it. It definitely holds up, like Eric was saying, and I think partly because it was you know a fun script, it was well cast, it has those qualities um, that kind of attract any audience. It's just so outrageous, um, and it's fun. It was very funny, and I yeah, I just I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Good, mm -hmm. and I think it was a fun, a really fun movie. Uh, yeah, and I, I one caveat I'll say this made me appreciate Kim Cattrall so much more. <laughs> now I've seen this side. Watch I, I Mannequin, see. and you'll fall in love with. I, I've seen Mannequin actually, and I always forgot that it was her in Mannequin. And I, I never Academy, the original. Yeah. she yeah. was. Yeah, she and was. Star Trek at that point in time. She, she has better chemistry with Kurt Russell than Steve Gutenberg. Right. She was in uh, Star Trek. <laughs> yes, she was. But oh, she's so great with Angela. McCarthy. Wait, she has better chemistry with Kurt Russell than Kurt Russell has with Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant she has better. Chemistry okay. with with Kurt Russell than she did with Steve Gutenberg. I, just I, make sure I, I can't vouch for the Kurt Russell Steve Gutenberg chemistry. I'd have like they ever been that. in the movie together? I don't have, know. Have we ever seen them together? No. no. Are they the same person? They, they are definitely not the same I've got, person. I've got two other things I have written down in my notes here from from rewatching it again that I wanted to bring up. Though, is the fact that in 1980s movies you could walk in any place pretending to be a repairman. That's wow! So true. And like in, in, in all those '80s movies, how many times did people just like walk in places and be like, "Oh yeah, the phone's down." Yeah. <laughs> Still movies to this day, you can right. do that. Yeah, but at least they have to have an outfit. They were just wearing denim. Oh, oh. they were just like walked in. <laughs> they were carrying a phone, if I'm not mistaken. Were they just like carrying a wall phone that they'd taken? Yeah, off something. <laughs> the worst plan ever. <laughs> and the other thing is, if you look at it, because uh, I was I was curious if if Wang uh, Dennis Dunn had done anything else. So, okay. I really liked him. Right, so I did too. Of, and I know I know if I kind of like thought of that before. So I went to his IMDb page. His <laughs> IMDb photo is of Kurt Russell <laughs> with him in the background. No yeah. way. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if if, uh, if you're listening to this at home or at work or anywhere, just go check out uh, Dennis Dunn's IMDb page. How do you spell the last name? Wow. Uh, D-U-N-N, I think. There is it is. D-U-N-N, there we go. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's the big... Uh, it, oh, my God. It's just, <laughs> yeah, the trigger. That's so sad. It's, it's a scene from the movie yeah. where he's barely in his own photo. Wow. One thing, I'm looking at his filmography right now. There's clearly a pattern. He was in Year of the Dragon. 
the last <laughs> emperor, and of course, big trouble in China. So he had a, a like the the Tribeca of Asian roles in Hollywood in the mid eighties. Oh, one, one of my uh, one of my friends posted something on Facebook the other day. It had uh, roles for Asian men, <laughs> and it was like by age, and it was basically how Asian actors are typecast depending specifically on the year. It's like, oh, under 21, you're a hacker. Over 21, you're the nerdy friend. It was like, over 35, co-worker or boss that doesn't quite get it. It was, it was like this whole thing. I was yeah. like, God, that hurts. It's so freaking true. Come on, Hollywood. Oscar's so white. Take yeah. cast him back to Kung Fu movies. <laughs> Bring back some dignity. <laughs> it's interesting. He's made various appearances on TV as well in Beauty and the Beast from the late that. 80s. Yeah. Grace Under Fire, The Nanny, and The Bernie Mac Show. So he's covered the gamut on sitcom appearances. And uh, I hope he's doing well. I do too. We all wish Dennis done well. And Steve Gutenberg. Because I haven't seen that man since it takes two. I feel I feel like we should just wish him well at the end of every podcast. We should, Dennis Dunn. <laughs> and our dear friend and And Bruno Kirby. <laughs> we wish you well. Um one caveat that I want to end on too when we're discussing this specifically with Kurt Russell is that Walt Disney's last words, the last words he ever wrote on a memo were Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. He had just been hired by the studio back then as their like child star. Yeah. So I always wondered what would be the follow-up <laughs> statement. Oddly Walt enough, Disney? I think Eisen, <laughs> uh, uh, Eisner's uh, last words of the Disney CEO was Carrie Russell. So I think... <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't related, are they? No, no. Not clearly. He's got a son that acts. Uh, Wyatt, I think it is. Wyatt Russell? Wyatt, yeah. Yeah. And Kurt Russell actually, coincidentally, has been cast recently as Star-Lord's dad in in the sequel to Guardians. Rumored Star Wars that he's he's officially in the movie. They haven't said what what role he's playing. Spoiler alert, I might have ruined the movie for several listeners out there. There was a rumor that he was being cast, looked at for Star-Lord's dad. And he was officially announced as being in the cast. So those are two completely separate statement facts that could got you could possibly could, be could be the same. But I will say though is that James Gunn has probably seen Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> I think that's a that's a fair bet to make. I, I would put even money down on that. One. <laughs> yeah, uh, the movie is available on Blu-ray. I as I've said several times on the podcast, I think it's the best way to watch a movie outside of a theater. And uh, there was like a special edition released, I think, in 2014. Uh, it has really great cover art and everything. I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> How is it? Is it for yeah, it's good? Good. Um, and uh, I think that's about it as far as Big Trouble in Little China is concerned. Uh, I want to thank Eric for coming on. Oh, a terrific thanks, guest. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, uh, I'm glad I could introduce this to you guys. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When, I, when I found out you hadn't seen it, I got yeah. so excited. Yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I know that you also have some projects of your own coming up soon. I, I do. Um, and, and obviously, as long as someone's not listening to this two years in the future. Uh, <laughs> but if you are, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go through the back catalog. <laughs> um, yes. We hope we you appreciate well. it. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah. Um, Mad Lab Theater is actually going to be producing a series of plays I wrote. Uh, it's a collection called But It's Not About That as part of Theater Roulette this year uh, in March. Um, it's going to be the uh, second, third, and fourth weekends in in May. I, I yeah. apologize. I, I said it's I'm thinking ahead of time. Uh, in May, it's the uh, second, third, and fourth weekends in May, and uh, I'm really proud of it. It's they're kind of comedy sketchish, uh, long form uh, comedy sketches. Um, 
Uh, I really like them though, and it should be a lot of fun. And I, I will say that it's going to have an amazing acting debut. I think of of someone that if you're listening to this two years in the future, now you know all the great stuff he's already been in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you're just listening to this before Roulette comes out, uh, I've got an amazing actor playing a general. Yes. In one of mine. I'm in it. I'm not the amazing actor, but I'm <laughs> a actor. Um, but you are the general. Yes, I, I, I play a general. In one of, I actually have three parts, two of them yeah. speaking, one non-speaking. So This feels like it has a Dr. Strangelo vibe to it, you know. <laughs> I, if it doesn't, it will. <laughs> I, I was very excited when, uh, uh, when, I, when I found out Scott uh, was auditioning. I, I was very excited. And we were talking. He's like, what roles do you think I could be? And I mentioned a couple of them to him. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, those are the ones that he ended up getting cast for. So, wow. so I think Stephen Woosley uh, <laughs> is getting a shout-out here. His first time on this podcast, I think. Hey, Stephen. Hey. hey Woos. Uh, you get some all the time on Andy's. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think he did an excellent job. Really proud to see what he's going to do as a director uh, with them because his casting is obviously we had the same vision <laughs> without without me even saying anything to him mm-hmm. so. yes. just a personal note to Wooz thank you so much for always supporting the podcast he's a avid listener of Cinema Wheel Orte and he's been very supportive um, through himself and also through Mad Lab so we just want to thank you and Mad Lab and any, for everybody for listening and for your support it really means a lot I, I vouch for that like Stephen Woosley and <laughs> Mad Lab and yeah, Woosley has dominated the, the, the end of this but he deserves it because he's he's been a, a big supporter of the podcast they've actually helped market it during Mad Lab's most recent mm-hmm. yeah, Full Frontal Nudity show their house improv troupe it's been a fun show and also uh the former uh, head of Mad Lab, Andy Bat, has been very supportive yes. as well. He has his own yes. podcast called Today's Today. the Day. Yep. Yes. Scott has actually been a guest on that. I was the second guest. I've been name dropped, but I name dropped Sean. Uh, <laughs> I name dropped you, I believe. I yeah. name dropped everybody here. Because I performed with you and I mentioned that I performed with you. I'm pointing to I people that you can't see. Right? Yeah. He also mentioned that you do improv. Yeah, I also. He probably mentioned so. I was his girlfriend too. Yeah. I may or may not have. I know it was a long time ago. As long as I'm name dropped by somebody, I'm happy. I'm a happy man. Well, uh, I think that's about it for this podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, thank Eric again for joining yeah. us. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Must pay.